0: So, well, y'all welcome to week three of our series, This Is Us. Lord, help me, Jesus. Because um, if that's your response right now, it's not going to get any better with this message. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, let, let's start off though, with the riddle. Let's start off like, uh, why did the chicken cross the road? What? <laughs> to get to the other side. Okay. Um, let's just go with to get to the other side <laughs> for the sake of this argument. But here's a better question. One, you want you uh, a, a look into the mind of Kelly Goins? I think about things like this. Why, why can't chickens fly, or at least fly, very far. Why can't they go long distances? I mean, they can fly a few yards, but, you know, but they can't really get really, really high. I mean, they're not, but they've got feathers. They've got wings. They should be able to fly. So welcome to my world where I think about things like this. And, and so I went to where, you know, we go to, to find the truth about things. I went to Google. Here's what I found. It's because their wings are small, their flight muscles too large and heavy, and it makes it hard for them to take off and sustain flight. But did you know chickens weren't always that way? We started domesticating them uh, a few thousand years ago, uh, a guy by the name of Michael Habib, who is assistant professor of clinical cell neurobiology uh, biology at the University of Southern Cal, says this, when we did, we did this to them through the oldest kind of genetic engineering, selective breeding. See, chickens are actually ancestors of the jungle fowl that is native to northern India and southern Asia. And while they may not have been the flyers that we see, eagles, falcons, and and great birds like that, they were at one time able to fly further for a greater distance, longer time than what they are today. And here's why Habib said this. He said, he says, it's mostly... The reason we did the selective breeding is mostly because people like to eat white meat. And they breed chickens that have larger flight muscles, chicken breast, and then the jungle fowl. Big flight muscles, he says, are just tasty. And I will give that a big amen. I think we can honestly say the church is the downfall of the chicken. More fried chicken comes to the church. Come on now. uh, Habib goes on to say this. He says, given that the domesticated chicken has smaller wings and a heavier mass than its wild brethren, the undomesticated, it's no surprise that chickens can barely fly. Basically, it comes down to this. Chickens have lost their ability to fly for any great distance or length of time because that's the way we like our chickens. May I propose to you that the same is true for the church. The church has lost its ability to really sustain a great movement, to fly to great distances, to get off the ground and really stay off the ground. Why? Because that's the way we like our churches. Domesticated. tame. We don't want them out there in the wild. Uh, Anybody grow up with rules? Like, like maybe some of these rules, you heard these rules like don't jump on your bed. Why? Because you'll bump your head. Don't go swimming for at least 30 minutes after you've eaten. Why? Get a cramp and die. Uh, don't run with scissors. Okay, kid you not, first service. I said, why? He said, because you might stab somebody. I'm like, we've got bigger problems with you than running with scissors. no. Don't run with sis. Why? Because you might fall, might hurt yourself, might put an eye out. Now, here's a rule that I grew up, and a lot of southerners grew up th- with this rule. And now, it's not so much endorsed or enforced today, but I think it should be. But here's a rule I grew up with. Don't talk, talk back to your mama or daddy. Why? Because you want a full set of teeth when you get older. Come on now. But did you know we've also got rules and safety guidelines in church? Don't offend anyone. Don't talk about anything controversial. Don't hold anyone accountable. And don't change anything. It's been like this for 50 years, it's worked for 50 years. I see no need to change anything. Honestly, There are many churches in America that you could walk into, and it would be like traveling back in time. Because what they were doing 50, 75 years ago is the way they're still doing things today. I mean, we've been doing it like that. So today, as we dive into week four of our series, uh, This Is Us, we're going to talk about the undomesticated church. In fact, if if you're new here, uh, you will find out today whether this Motley crew of Believers is who you want to be a part of or, hey, thanks for the experience. I'll see you on a later day. Um, so, uh, But let me give you a de- definition of domesticated. Uh, it, it, it might help you. Adapted over time away from its wild or natural state. Adapted over time. Brought under human control. When I look and think about the church today, I think domesticated. It has adapted over time from its original wild and natural state. But when you look at the first century church, the Acts 2 church, it was anything but domesticated. It was anything but tame. The model that we get from from, from the church that was it was very wild. It, there were no safety harnesses. There were no guidelines. Can, can I be honest with you? I don't want a pastor or even be a part of a domesticated church. I, I all I want that's just being a part of another club. I don't want to be a pastor or, or be a part of a tame church. Uh, I, I never grew up with the concept of, of living a tame life. My mom and dad had four boys. I had one. And if I'd have had him first, I might not have had any more. Because he'd come out of the womb 90 miles an hour. Uh, but, but she had four. So I grew up with this Hey. There's nothing I won't try at least once. I mean I, I, I'll do it. I grew up taking risk. My mom would not call it taking risk. she would call it doing things stupid uh, or doing stupid things. Come on. Uh, I mean, for instance, we, we had this where we lived in Graysville, Tennessee, the metropolis of Graysville. Uh, there was this hill right on this road here. And, and so what we would do, as kids there, uh, there was a road that passed by the hill. We would we would gather all my Papa all goings his uh, rotten tomatoes that he, that was there. We would gather balloons and put water in them, and then we would hide in the woods. And as car comes by, we would sling those tomatoes and and balloons, and it was such a thrill when we'd hear splat and then because uh, that meant we gotta run. Let's go, boys. Let's go. I ain't got to be the fastest. It's faster than Freddy. Let's go. Let's go. We would also, uh, we, man, we did a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, we one time I didn't tell this first, or it just came back to my memory. We we took these, we made this dummy out of pants, stuffed the pants in it, made it look like a real person, and then we would stand on the side of the road, and then when a car came by, we'd throw it out there in front of the car. <laughs> yeah. We, now you you should have been praying harder for my mama. So <laughs> one time me and my cousin decided we we saw people hang glide before. We can make a hang glide. We got this perfectly good hill in front of the house here. So we got some wood, we got one of my mom's sheets. We crafted this hang glider, and, and my cousin Coy said, he said, let me go first. I said, please. <laughs> he jumped. And then we went to the emergency room, no lie, no lie. I I mean, and my dad helped me foster this kind of no fear. I can't remember a time that I didn't have a dirt bike, didn't have a, I still ride to this day, Uh, I went from a a dirt bike though to a Harley, I, I just, I love the freedom that I feel. But in the South, when you're little, if you've got a dirt bike, you must make ramps. That's just a law you got to. And we made ramps, and we jumped. I'll never forget. I was, I was on my RM125 Suzuki coming this way. My cousin Dana was coming. I couldn't see her because my dad's work truck was parked way, this way. She was coming this way on a little 80, and we came cross paths at the same time where I just went, boom, and just kept going where she was laying down back there. <laughs> we were a handful. And so I grew up with this attitude that there's really nothing That I wouldn't try. And uh, you know what a redneck's famous last words are, don't you? Watch (laughs) this. But here's the truth. I believe deep down in all of us. We want to live a life of risk. I mean, we really don't want a life that when we come to the end of our life, we can look back and say, boy, I lived a really safe and boring life. I don't believe anybody really, really wants that. But uh, here, they, see, I, I again, I, I love just, a, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Uh, y'all heard about some of the stuff. I love skydiving. I have tried on several time occasions to get my wife, babe, go, babe, go. She'll say, I know I would like it once I got out of the plane. It's the jumping out of the plane where I have a problem. And I said, babe, if you come, you won't have to worry about jumping. No push, push. Uh, But that's the problem with the church and a lot of people today. We want to enjoy the experience of flying and living an undomesticated life. We just don't want to have to leave the safety of the plane. And so we settle in for a domesticated life. And, And a lot of us today, in a lot of our churches, we want the thrill of flying. But we don't want the risk of jumping out of the plane. A a couple of years ago, we changed our vision and mission statement here at Watts Bar Church. One of the reasons is so many vision and mission statements are so long, the people that actually wrote them can't even remember them. And I'm like, man, I'm a a kiss kind of guy. Keep it simple, stupid. Let's make it short where even I can remember it. And if you're taking notes and you don't know our mission, vision statement, this is it. Love God, love people, serve others. That's what we're about. Love God, love people, serve others. Get this. What why, is, what? why What's so wild about that, Kelly? When I say love God, love people, serve others, I'm not just talking about loving and serving people that look like you, that talk like you, that believe like you. Oh, oh, let's let's get really going. That have the same political preference. That you have. Mm, That talk, I'm not talking about loving people that have the same accent that you have. When we say we're going to be a church that loves God, loves people, and serves others, that means regardless of where they come from, regardless of whether they even believe like we believe. We believe we we were sitting here to be Jesus with hands and feet. And if the church can just begin to love and serve people right where they are, then maybe then they'll see the real Jesus. Then maybe they'll see the church that God intended it to be. Not the domesticated version. That is good. Thank you, babe. I'm just going to look at you the whole service because, man, I'm getting some weird looks out there. I mean, 37 years ago, my mom and dad started this church with that attitude. We're going to love people right where they're at. Because, see, we grew up, and many of you did too, that if you want to be accepted in the church, you looked a certain way, you dressed a certain way, women didn't wear makeup, Men cut their hair. Women didn't cut their Come on. Are you with me? My dad used to say this listen, this and that. People say it's a sin for a woman to wear makeup. I say for some women it's a sin for them not to wear makeup. <laughs> but let me, let, let me tell you what we're not about. We're not about preaching any certain denomination bias. It's not what we're about. We're not about uh, being some political platform. That's not what we're about. We're not about trying to please people. We're all about, what's our church, we're all about loving God, loving people, and serving others. That's who we are. And I believe in doing that, we will be able to lead others into becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. Our, our goal, guys, here at church, is to bring... Um, man, I'm... I'm trying to condense this, but I, I heard a guy say this. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, Chris Hodges, who pastors down in the Highlands in Birmingham, and he he said I was talking to this guy, and he said he talked about it, he said, "Man, our church we we've, we've decided just to focus on the people that's in the church and grow them." And Chris said he said I said, "Man, with all due respect, I feel sorry then for the lost in your community." I'm telling you, that is why we are here. And if you've been here any length of time at all, you've heard me say this. We are a church that will do anything short of sin to win the loss to Christ. Because they matter to God. And they better matter to us. Amen? Amen. What else, PK? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> we want to see people trained up and equipped to use their God-given talents and gifts to make a difference where God placed them. That's what we're about. That doesn't happen in a domesticated church. In fact, one of the reasons I think this generation and even the one previous, the church decline has started is because the church has become so domesticated. They're not really challenged. Nothing really happens in church anymore. Nothing, no, nobody's expected to change. People go in there with a nasty and bad attitude. Well, they, get, they come out with a nasty and bad attitude. And people are not expected to change. There's no accountability. And I believe they want something that they can actually believe in and get behind. We've created a PC safe church where nobody gets offended. Nobody's panties get in a wad. Nobody leaves butt hurt. And in the process, nothing ever happens and nobody ever changes. Is that plain enough? But when you look, (laughs) don't get me started. And children don't say hurt." When you look at the New Testament church, it was anything but domesticated. I I mean, if you ever heard somebody say, say, and I know they're hard, but the safest place to be is in the will of God. Tell that to the New Testament church. I think one of the wildest, most dangerous places you can live is in the will of God. Why? Because it requires change. It requires something to happen in you when you're in the will and you're in the presence of God. And I think it's what, let me give you, I'm getting, I've got so much going on in my head. I need to to keep moving. Let me give you three thoughts of an undomesticated church and who I want us to be. Uh, Is this, if you're taking notes. An undomesticated church transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. An undomesticated church takes ordinary people like you and I. And it transforms us into something extraordinary to become world changers. I mean, you look at the Bible. The Bible is full of examples of, of this. One of, the, one of the, my favorite examples is found in Acts 4 uh, when, when Peter and John, these two ordinary guys, are doing these extraordinary things. Uh, in fact, the things that Peter and John are doing, well, they're, they're like, the religious leaders like, they shouldn't be able to be doing these things. And, and so the, the, the religious leaders get kind of troubled at what's going on. And, and look what happens in Mark, I mean, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the priests, and Sadducees, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. When they saw that, hey, these guys aren't smart enough or talented enough to be pulling this off. They're just ordinary men. It says when they saw they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were very astonished how do ordinary men do extraordinary things? And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They're blown away. How do these ordinary guys do these amazing things? Let me tell you what they were actually saying. That ordinary, the Greek word for that is idiotes. That word sound familiar? Basically what they were saying, how are these unschooled, Idiots doing this. I mean, how, how are these unschooled idiots? We've been taught in the greatest synagogues. We we went to the most prestigious school of theology. We can't do anything. How are these idiots able to do it? And then somebody said, Oh, I know what the difference maker is. They've been with Jesus. And you can't spend much time in the presence of Jesus. Without being transformed. Without being changed. I'm telling you. That that should be good news to people like you and I. I, I'm serious to know that in the New Testament. Jesus used a bunch of idiots. If you have ever wondered. Is Watts Bar Church a biblical church? Wonder no more. We are full of idiots. And I am the chiefest of idiots. I'm serious. It, It blows me away every time. God uses me to speak into someone. I'm blown away every time God speaks to me and asks me to go pray with someone, or uses me to buy some, pay for someone's meal, or or or, or, or to speak a word to someone. Why? Because I know me, and I am. There's nothing ex, uh, extraordinary, nothing special about me. I'm ordinary until I've spent time with Jesus. Until I've been in the presence of Jesus. Just an ordinary, regular guy. That's what God loves to use. Uh, the, the ordin- it reminded me of this story. Um, this formal pastor, very formal pastor, he was speaking. And was, he was closing the service, he, he, he prayed this prayer. Oh, Lord, without you, we are only but dust. And a little girl heard that, and she tugged on her mom and she said, Mommy, what's but dust? You and I are butt dust. We're ordinary people that God chooses to transform and use for the extraordinary. Look at you, neighbor. I know you want to say, you're butt dust. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! You do not know what you're missing, Facebook Live, if you do not attend. I mean, think about it. When, when Jesus came from heaven, left his heavenly home, Came down here, was born as a baby, and then he, he, he grew up and he said, it's time, I need to go on a recruiting mission. I'm going to go look for only four and five star recruits. That's what i mean. Is that who he went after? No, the first people he approached were a bunch of uneducated fishermen. Guys that nobody else would have said, hey, man, you're going to change the world. He said, that's who I want on my team. He chose tax collectors, ones that were despised and hated by their own people because of their profession. He called prostitutes. He called the ordinary, the broken, the lonely, the outcast. He took those people and he transformed them into something extraordinary that we would be talking about 2,000 years later. That's what God does, and that's what an undomesticated church does. Are you with me, church? I mean that's the exact opposite of how we choose people, isn't it? I mean, think about it. even in the military. You want to be, you want to sign up for the military? You have to go through a, a, a test of, to test your physical ability. You have to go through all these, and then if you match up with everything, then you can join the military. Let's bring it down to terms. A lot of us will understand American Idol. You want to be on American Idol? you got to have the right look, and you got to have the right voice. And then you will be accepted in the world of American Idol. Well, Kelly, what about the voice? They don't have to look a certain way. No, but they do have to perform a certain way. Because if they don't like what they're hearing, they don't turn the chair around. Here's what I'm saying to everyone in this room. When you come out of the womb, Jesus' chair was already turned around for you. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to sing a certain way, look a certain way, act a part. Jesus said, I I choose you. But God, there's nothing. No, 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 I choose you. But God, look at me. I know and I choose you. I'm telling you, that is what God does. That's what he does. When Jesus came, he said, listen, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I want you just like you are. Let me say it like this. Jesus didn't come for the already convinced. He came for the doubters, the non believers, the skeptics. Jesus didn't come for the self proclaimed righteous ones. He came for the sinners. Jesus didn't come for the ones that felt they had all their stuff together. He came for the ones like me and you that were falling apart. He came for everyday ordinary idiots. Why? Because they were naive enough. Just when Jesus spoke, they believed it and bought into it and went. I mean, he said, "If you want your life to count, you got to lose it. You want to become great, you got to become least. You want to change the world, you got to let go of everything you've got hold of and just follow me." And the Bible says that these ordinary idiotes, men and women, did just that. They followed Jesus. While the religious leaders and teachers, the priests, rabbisites, well, they stood back saying, This is not the way we do things here. This is untamed. This is undomesticated. The people were leaning in sync, saying, This is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for someone to say we can have a relationship. Not. So many rules that we'll never be able to keep. So many regulations that y'all are putting, that you're not even keeping yourself. And the people began to lean into the grace, the mercy, the love that they were being shown when the religious community, the church, the domesticated of the church of their time was telling them they weren't good enough. I'm telling you. The undomesticated church transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. Number two, the undomesticated church transforms consumers into contributors. Again, when you spend time with Jesus, you cannot stay the same. Something happens, and you begin to respond to God that has given you all that he is with all that you are. Uh, let, me, let me give you a an illustration, and I need you to hang with me throughout this illustration because some of you right off the bat, you're going to tune me out. But Stay with me. There was an article that came out a few years ago in Christianity Today where the writer asked this question, what is the biggest business in your town? So I, I got to thinking about it. What is the biggest biz, business in our town? Shaw, uh, Lazy Boy, Denzel, um, Walmart, Amazon. Uh, what's the biggest one in our town? Well, the writer went on to say, after he said, what is the biggest business in your, almost every town, he said this, the biggest business in almost every town is God's business. Stay with me. I know the church is not a business, but stay with me for the sake. It's also important. He says, if it's God's business, that must mean it's an important business. Can we agree with that? At the church, and after stating that the business, the biggest business in almost every town is the local is is God's business. He gives his argument. He says, "Name one business in town that has more branches than the local church." I can't think of any. Cleveland alone has five thousand three hundred churches. I'm kidding. It's forty one hundred. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I mean, not even Walmart has that many. Now He says, name one business in town that's got more money than the local church. To which I said, I can name one. <laughs> but what he's talking is about is the resources that the local church has to offer. And when you think about it, there's not one business that has that. And, and then he says, what is the most durable and strongest business in town? Anybody else know a business that has been around for over 2,000 years? I can't think of one, but the church has. The church has. And if you think about the church in its infant days when it was just learning to crawl, it was just learning to walk and then run. The very first, I mean, think about that. And then on top of that, they had the Roman Empire, this massive force that was coming down upon them to try to stop them. Well, anybody know where the Roman Empire is now? Besides on WWE wrestling, anybody know? It's not existence, but Christianity still alive, still going. So, so, so I have to wonder if God's business is the biggest business in town, and it's important uh, uh, as in spreading this all, all over the world. Well, then, why is it not as effective as it should be? I'll give you a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is I think is the local branches do more competing with each other than complementing each other. They do. They spend more time competing with one another than completing one another. Another reason is a lot of the local branches are more interested in the name on the outside of the building than being united under one name. Come on. That's why we're not as effective as we should be, could be. But when it comes down to it, American Christians, the American church, it's this we are simply better at being spiritual consumers than we are at being spiritual contributors. Look at look at verse uh, or Acts 2. And I, when we read this, I want you to realize and remember these are just ordinary people. They've got uh, bills to pay, they've got mouths to feed. They've got things going on. But, but, but look about, it. when they experienced biblical community, what happened? Oh, wait, I'm out there. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sowed their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Can you imagine if every local branch of God's business, the church, in our communities, can you imagine if every one of them did that? Think about what we could do. Think about the impact we could have. Imagine if we just took our resources, our time, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, and our finances, even, and quit saying mine and said God, here, it's yours. Use it however you want. I can tell you what would happen. There would not be a need that could that would go unmet in Megs, Ray, McMinn, you name the county, if all the local churches begin to act like that. If all the local churches begin to act like the church. Come on now. The problem is we're better at being consumers than we are being contributors. Now, now let me stop here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or if this is new to you, you're a brand new Christian, all this is new to you, then listen, consume, take it all in. Take, take, this is why we do what we do, is so you can take it all in. I want you to take it all in. I want you to grow. I want you to grow to the point where you are so in love with Jesus that you say, okay, I've consumed, now it's time for me to contribute. Where do you want me? So consume, consume away. But for those that are followers of Jesus, there are some of you, now I'm talking about Watts Bar people. You have been here a long, stinking time, some of you. and Some of you walk in and sit down in a chair that somebody else has paid for with their tithing offering. There's some of you that have been a part of this community a long time. Kelly, does that mean? Listen, I just want us to have an honest conversation. And some of you have been coming here a long time and you, a greeter will give you a bulletin at the door and you'll take and will smile at you. You'll Some of you will drop your kids off at WB Kids or in the nursery. Never once thinking, maybe I should serve. Maybe I should contribute. Maybe I should give back. And it's that consumer mentality, guys. Uh, it, it's sad. I think when we're characterized more by how much we consume how much we contribute? I mean, honestly, can, can we have a mature conversation about this? And if you get mad at me, listen, I'll understand. But I'm just going to ask God to convict you so bad that you can't sleep or eat for two weeks. <laughs> Here's another one, and this is really popular with the consumer mindset. We'll go to one church because we like the preaching there. Then, well, next week, hey, we, let's go over here because I like the singing there. Then we go, uh, the, the following week, we'll go to another church because we like it because it's more traditional or it's more contemporary there. Then on Wednesdays, we're going to take and drop our kids off here because I like the kids' program there. I like the children's program there. Well, Kelly, what's wrong with that? Here's the problem you never come under any accountability. we don't have to answer to anyone. We don't have to get really involved with community and connect. We don't feel pressure to give back. Why? Because we're consuming what's in it for me. What's in it for me? What can I get? And then what will happen is this. I've heard this so much. We'll whine and complain and say something like this. I just can't find a church to meet all my needs. I don't think you realize how much followers of Jesus say that. My dad would say this. He'd say people would tell them, I just, you know what, I'm just not getting fed there. It's not not getting fed. Dad would say, you know, when Kelly was little, I would feed him. Here you go. Here you go, son. Oh, here comes a choo-choo train. Open up. Get in there. Here it comes. He said, but if at 18 years old I'm still having to do that, we've got a problem. The problem is in church that's normal. We want the pastor ever say, here we come, folks, train, open up. Without ever going out and feeding ourselves. Are you here? I, I believe we should come in here and get fed. But there's a problem if you're just eating once a week. And Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, you're going without feeding yourself out of his word or without getting prayer. Or I, I'm telling you. It's that consumer mindset, and it's because of this. This is what we 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 grew up thinking the church was all for us. But we need to understand this: the church is not here for us. We are the church, and we are here for the world. When did we forget that, guys? When did we forget that we were saved for a purpose? That we were placed here for a purpose? That we don't just come to church to, 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 to mark something off the list or to fill out an obligation, but we come here so that we can get encouraged. Oh, lot that's going on today, Pastor Kelly. But so we can get filled up with something. We can get the Spirit and then leave these four walls and go out there and impact our world. Because out there, we're the church. We are the church, and we're here for the world. Today, we've got a group of people that, that are in Knoxville today that have collected uh, coats, blankets, warm things. They're up in Knoxville in the homeless community handing out food. That's where a lot of our people are, handing out food, handing out coats, handing out uh, blankets and stuff. Why? Because they're being the church. The church. I'm telling you, an dom- undomesticated church. Transforms consumers into contributors, and number three, an undomesticated church transforms the living into the dead. To the dead, now now now. now PK. Last week, we talked about dry bones, and you were talking about dead people coming to life. That's what Jesus does. Don't backtrack. He does. But I believe before that, he transforms the living into the dead. Look what Paul said, in Galatians two twenty. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Understand, Paul isn't talking about a physical death. It's a spiritual death. The old nature is gone. Paul says, it is Christ that now lives in me. Casey talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, my my younger, youngest brother, when he preached for us. And he, and he says, people that know him from a long time ago, he said, and they still hold a grudge at him. He said, he said, and he said I, I said, listen, if you're looking for the old Casey, he's not here. He's a, he's a corpse. He's buried in the graveyard. Go find him there because he's not alive anymore. I'm telling you, but there was a time when people would say, I hadn't seen him in a while, they would say, hey, how's your brother Casey doing? And I'd be like, nah, not good. He's still stealing to support his habit. He's still pawning his kids' toys off to go support a habit. Come on, there's a lot of you can relate. Still breaking into homes to support his habit. He's not doing good. But over the past over two years, how's Casey done? You would not believe it. He is over, yeah. He is over two years sober, two years clean. He is got his family, a wife, man, his two daughters, and he got, got a third daughter now, and now another one on the way, a little boy on the way that, that's coming, yeah. I say, you and he's teaching for me. He's he's got a him and Tiffany have got a discipleship group going on for young adults. You wouldn't believe how good he's doing. Why? Because the old man died so that the new man could come to life. Look what Paul says in Galatians six fourteen. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. Come on, guys. Do you know what the biggest miracle is? that I hope happens in me and the rest of 2019 and going into 2020, what what I hope to look back on on this year and even the end of next year, you know I hope to say this? Kelly died a little more in 2020. There was less of Kelly and more of Jesus in 2020. Come on, anybody else? Because you've got to die. You've got to die to those things. And so, So I have to ask, are you dead yet? Or is there something in your life that you have refused to crucify to Christ and give it to Him? I just know this, that when you get in the presence of a holy God, things cannot stay the same. Things change. Things change. Let's close with this. Acts chapter 17. Undomesticated church. First church. Man, they're growing. Paul and Silas, they're preaching the gospel. They're teaching in synagogues, and they arrive in Thessalonica. He goes and began, goes and starts teaching and preaching this new, undomesticated gospel. And look what happens, starting with verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Paul and Silas come in to the synagogue, begin teaching this undomesticated gospel. You can have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus loves you right where you are. His grace covers. His mercy covers. And it says many of the Jews began to believe. Other Greeks and prominent women beginning to believe. But look what happens. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace formed a mob, mob started to ride in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Come on, come on. Jason in the Bible. Anybody else not find that fun? You've got all these weird names and out of nowhere you get Jason. It's like they just gave him that name. He had a name too that they couldn't even pronounce back then. They just said, let's just call him Jason. Anyway. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, look, they dragged Jason, and some of the other believers before the city, city officials, shouting, "These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Look look what they say. And Jason has welcomed them into this, his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And so when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. What is happening here? It is a confrontation. But not between God and the devil. It's between the domesticated church and the undomesticated church. See, people, people are saying, I want this Jesus they're talking about. I, I want Him more than I want what you've been giving us for years what you've put on our shoulders is heavy and weighty I want this Jesus I, that's what I want I want relationship I want purpose I don't want to settle for just the ordinary I'm looking I'm saying I knew Peter I knew what they were like until Jesus got a hold of them and I want So the Jewish leaders saw this as a threat because they were coming against something that was tradition to them. And it was something they couldn't control anymore. Something they weren't over. And so they attacked them. Did you notice how they attacked them? Look look at verse 7 again. They're all defying Caesar's decrees and saying there's another king on Jesus. They're all defying. Jews didn't like Caesar. Caesar wasn't their king. They had no respect for him. But they'll do whatever it takes to preserve their place in Caesar's world. Because they knew this, the Roman Empire, they would accept a domesticated religion. Because they knew the rules. They knew how to play the game. They knew how you had to talk, how you had to They they stayed in the line And they could handle that But this undomesticated Feral faith That they didn't understand this Jesus They knew this That changed everything Everything Can I tell you this church I don't want Watts Bar Church To ever become known as a tame, domesticated church. I want us to love Jesus with such passion that it makes the religious get a little fidgety and it makes the unchurched say, I want what they've got. I want to love people to a point they say but you're not like the places I grew up in going to church I'm not you don't know the conversations Denise and I have had with people tell us they weren't even welcome with their parents with the church or because, uh, because of this or because of that or because they chose a lifestyle or because they chose this but we come here we feel like Says because you are, and what I'm believing is that you spend long enough time in the presence of Jesus and in God's people, and us loving on you, God is going to do the inside work that needs to be done. I'm not a cleaner of fish; I'm just a catcher, and God uses me to help do the cleaning, but I'm not about to do it on my own. Stand with me across this room.